Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Speculate one-shot of A Land Once Magic, which is a very cool post-fantasy world-building game that we've been making, Goth AF, and doing lots of cool stuff with candles. So we have two things to catch up on. Folks pointed out to me, we need to name our flourishing gutter-positive city, and we have to give our crew a title or like a status, like what they're up to now, because then our the last kind of formal step is we're going to describe people traveling to this city that we've built and then like following their story there. So does anybody have an idea for this flourishing city uh, for what for its name? I don't have an idea for the flourishing city's name, but I do have kind of a question for both of you based on what you were just saying, Mike, which is that this is a post fantasy game. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really just a thing that is interesting to me that like we have not erased magic from our post fantasy game world. It's, it's the sort of, I don't know the, this, the, the like, the rules and requirements have all changed, but it is still very much a magic world, which I think is really interesting. We've corrupted magic. Yeah, that's that is the that is the the way we've taken it. We've we've made it awful. Yeah, because it. We keep talking about magic fading, but like, what did, does that even look like? Have we really actually done that, or have we just made it capitalist? I mean, capitalism right. is always the bad guy. I mean, yeah, because the I had kind of thought that the the fading is that, and and we touched on it right when we were talking about like the mega flora and the giant bones that like the the magic produced in a factory setting can't like equal the a, a factory farm tomato will never be as delicious <laughs> as a homegrown tomato. Yeah, so it's not so much like the world's fading, it's the like the self-imposed fading of magic by this codification and commercialization. Right, cuz it's I guess it's more like we have a setting that has moved from fairy tale or like traditional fantasy into like almost like Arthurian fantasy maybe into something that's like industrial fantasy. Yeah, almost like fantasy has taken the role of nature here, and like the world has moved from being away from being in balance with it to being imbalanced with it, and that's what's causing the problems. Right, and we have this uh, this thing that is a byproduct, or in, or is a part of the cycle that uh, the cycle of the use of magic and how magic interacts with the world, where part of the cycle has been demonized largely and people are trying to cut it out like cut out part of a cycle of life so how does that feed into the way cities are named right is this like i mean if if the idea of this place being a place a refuge for the gutterwick symbiotes was positive it would have like haven or something a name but in this world it's not positive so what is the reverse on that right or and like is it does it have multiple names is it both bone haven and uh, gutter town yeah i like the dual names a lot and all of that is better than naming it like i don't know some person's name with berg stuck on the end Nothing against any real world bergs. They're lovely. Yeah. The um the like it's the two sides of the coin, right? Like right. the two ends of the candle. Um the, the twin wicks. Uh, <laughs> so like what is a what's a growth of barnacles called? Cluster, maybe? To the internet. Yep. Da-da-da-da. Uh, I apologize if you are watching or listening to this and uh, shouting at a screen and or your podcatcher because you know this term. If you know this term, you're very cool. And I appreciate you. The collective noun for barnacles. Uh, Foodrepublic.com claims barnacles are edible and delicious. Larval form of the barnacle is called a nopolis. 
Um, what I found is incrustation as the collective noun mm. for barnacle colonies. Interesting. Let's see. Because the other thing we could do is we could go off of like scientific names. So thyro... A crust end. Oh, crust end. Crust, crust end. So is that the the name the people of the city have given it? Or is that the name the derogatory name? That's the derogatory name, crust end. Because that is how they describe like, oh, they have crust ends. Yeah. Yes. There's all sorts of horrible... Yeah. So is that ways to play with that? Is that crust end two word or um, two words that have been smushed into one? Is it crust end or crust end? I think it sounds snobbier the second way. It does sound snobbier the second way. Um, <laughs> and then, what is the name the people of the city use for this place? We had we had talked about like Haven um, or some p- variation on that. I, it's weird, but I'm finding the word for the larval form of barnacle is called Nopolis, and it sounds a little bit like Nopolis. Okay. Like polis is in city. Is that spell? How is that spelled? N a u the 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 word the word for lar the larval stage is N a u p l i u s p l i u s yes. But you could also play with that and make it fantasy by making it P-O-L-I-S. For like polis as in city. Right. Yeah. Not polis. So that's N-A-U-P-O-L-I-S if we're doing that. Yeah. Um, I made it. I like it because it's kind of coded. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you have a city that is kind of a haven for people encrusted with with gutter wicks Mm. you don't necessarily want to advertise that to the wrong people Uh Mm. you want to protect that and make sure only the the people who need to know know right okay like nopolis is the ultimate if you know you know yeah does that then give us any ideas for a name for the crew who like worked with the like worked with the refugees or worked for with the kind of um, gutter wick kind of outside colony, or did that outside colony get folded into the city, or did did that colony become the city? Oh, are we talking about our our, our, crew? our gutter wick symbiote crew? Yeah, I, I feel like they would kind of embrace the crusty end joke somehow. Yeah, make it their own. Also, as far as where that gutter wet colony is, I like it's the classic fantasy trope, right? It's under the city. Like amid the boneyard. It's it's somebody built a city on a boneyard and now like all of the foundations of the city. Yes. It's like it, it's like the typical necrop um necropolis, but it's like not even like uh mausoleum it's just the bones themselves are the structure mm-hmm. yeah i do think they would embrace that crust and situation and the enders i'm like thinking of lots of bread words right <laughs> so the crust and they are they're positive about gutter wicks um, like i really want toast tenders like are they the tender ends um because i like Two, two or three mental jumps leaves me to, like, lamplighters. Is there some connection there? Uh, or do we draw on um, something like that? Because you've, you've also got the, like, you have a candle snuffer, right, is the thing that you use to put out a candle in terms of other terminology that we might draw on. Or are they just the wicks. candle wicks? They're not gutter wicks. They're candle wicks. Oh, and then they're like, we are the light in the dark that the Talon like originally talked about. I don't know. I like it. This is all very cool. The funny thing is that we now have too many cool names and titles for me to figure out what to title this episode in the podcast feed. Is, <laughs> is this, do I just... Wicked ideas. Uh, oh, you know, is this... so terrible. <laughs> a Land Wants Magic... 
Gutterwicks? Is it A Land Once Magic, The Tallow Queen? Like, I have um, I have an embarrassment of riches. I'll be fine. <laughs> um, I feel like it's a good problem to have. It is. So we have, they, uh, the crew has a title. Do we want this to be, a, like, is this an organization that's still active? Like, have they been around for a long time? Like, were they involved in the founding? Or are they a more recent thing? I think they're more recent. Yeah, that was my impulse, too. I think they rose, they are recent, they've recently rose up with the establishment of the symbiote refugees and and working together. And now they have more support from the city itself with the research they're doing, which allows them to do more inside and outside the city. Okay. Cool. That all sounds good for me. Do we feel good about moving on to journey in the land? Let's do it. Okay. Journey in the land. You are traveling to the city we built. So we are traveling to Nopolis. After completing this table, zoom in to the story being told. Describe a character who is listening in. So listening in on people who are traveling to the city or listening in on us telling the story. Like we can choose our framing here because I don't know that it's entirely clear to me. Um, but first, we are going to take three more cards. Uh, we have the Eight of Hearts. Okay. So, when traveling with a company, traders, or army. Company of traders. Okay. Well, we already talked some about merchants, right? Yeah. During, briefly elaborate the subject. A holiday, the Jack of Hearts. During a holiday. The story is being told about traditions, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the five of spades. Okay. So I feel like this, this fits really nicely into what we already have. So we can just like maybe take it farther or make it more concrete. Mm -hmm. So is this, is the company that's traveling to Nopolis is this people from Nopolis returning or is it people from somewhere else trading with Nopolis where it's like maybe more fraught? I want to say, you know, like traders coming to Nopolis to trade. I mean, who, what, what would be a wanted commodity in Nopolis? Well, I mean, we've talked very little about trade in this world. But if necromancy is the order of the day in the other cities, then Nopolis is probably the source of a lot of like everyday medicine. If their focus is healing, you know, you got to get your good, good aspirin from Nopolis. Um, your, your plasters and serums. Right. Cause the, the, the elite always have access to the things that are um, regarded as taboo or illegal, right? So your, your like CEO's family are going to be able to get good medicine from Nopolis and they're just going to cover it up. There's probably a thriving cosmetics industry as well. And if they are there healing, but they are also where all of the people who are quote unquote afflicted with, with gutterwicks, you know, if that's where all those people are, are ending up, you're going to wind up with like an industry for, well, here's concealer that will hide those scars or, you know, here's. Yeah. But is it as big a taboo in, in Nopolis as it well, is? I, I don't think it's as big a taboo in Nopolis. I think they're goods for export. Oh, for export. Yeah. Okay. So Nopolis's exports would be medicine and cosmetics. What does it need from the rest of the world? Is this... I think, I mean, I think when you're working in medicines and research, there's a lot of like uncommon raw supplies you need, like plants and agriculture and things of that nature. Mm. Glass. Glass. Um, sure. Materials, container materials. Things of that nature. So this could be is a glass Nop- blower traveling to. Is Nopolis big enough that they have to import some of their food because a lot of their citizenry are involved in research and 
manufacture as opposed to farming. Like that's, that that's a, that's a city need, right? Like they are probably importing a bunch of food and mm. elements of everyday life that they are not super involved in the manufacture of themselves. So clothing, you know, yeah. raw materials. And that could be a weakness we didn't talk about with the symbiote relationship with the gutter wicks. Like, and we talked, we placed the city near a thriving natural colony of gutter wicks. Do they consume more than the average resources for food and, and edible plants and stuff? Do they, do they, is there a ecosystem that can support them on their own or does it make it harder to farm around the city? Cause they say it definitely makes it harder if they're like, think about the pictures of lavender fields, right? Like, except they're barnacles. Mm. <laughs> I love and, it. Yeah. And so like, if the land is dominated by that, you're, you're totally going to have a harder time, like farming your industrial crops there. Right. Cause like, is the, in much in much of the world in much of our world a city is just going to naturally have a bunch of cultivated agricultural land around it right and so you've got farmer you have the the folks that don't live in the city but are part of the city's like functioning organism in terms of like oh, okay this needs a bunch of land people bring that inside and then they are able to make use of all of the industry that the city has if Nopolis is mostly surrounded by gutter instead of that, that would kind of suggest needing to take in food or a lot of, you know, food of various types. Is Nopolis a port city? It seems like it might need to be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. so we have traders coming in to trade. Perhaps they're trading agriculture and other supplies with Nautilus and hoping to bring out... Uh, medicines that are always highly wanted by the uh, elite classes in there. Are the traders also part of the pipeline of how people encrusted with Gutterwick get to Napolis in the first place? Oh, like do people pay to travel with the merchant groups? Yeah. Or like if you are a rich family with a daughter who is covered in gutterwick for whatever reason right do you pay for her safe passage and set her up in nopolis because you know she'll be safe there or do you work your way across on a you know a ship full of suspicious sailors because you can't afford to pay your passage but you think your life will be better in nopolis mm -hmm. like, yeah and i wonder like at what point like the other cities or governments start getting nervous about all the Gutterwick symbiote folk gathering in one city yeah, or not. Right now it seems to be a very, like, we don't want them in our city anyway. They can go be Nopolis's problem right now, but well, at a certain is it, point. Is it just Nopolis or are there other... I'd imagine there are others, yeah. but they're treated the best in Nopolis because Nopolis has these sympathetic resources yeah. and the research going on. Is sentiment about Gutter and Gutterwick changing because of Nopolis flourishing? It's hard not to think of brain, like, uh, not uh, basically uh, being somebody from, uh, from the Midwest who has moved to the coast. You know, people move to the big city. You move to the big city maybe because... There wasn't, a, there wasn't a place for you somewhere else for any number of reasons. And so if Nopolis has this, like some uh, additional dimension of cosmopolitanness of a lot more people who are from a lot of different places, in what ways is that then additionally, like culturally, economically generative? And does that then have an, an influence? Well, there's probably a strong tourism industry of people who want to like, you know, those, the, those gutterwicks just walk around on the street and there's like a thrill to that probably for some people. That is cool and gross. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about the Victorians. Right. Well, cause it's like, it's like poverty tourism. Yeah. But yeah. Like with 
supernatural stuff because shitty people are going to be shitty Mm -hmm. is cool and terrible. There's your podcast title for this, right? Like a land wants magic. Capitalism is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's capitalism is always the big bad. (laughs) Um, I have a very hard time not just bringing that energy to everything that I do. So I don't know that that's as useful in terms of titling because it's just like, oh, so Mike is involved in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) We should do a challenge where we try to play this game and not make capitalism the big bad. (laughs) We're supposed to be set during a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. And so celebrated or observed national or religious. Right. And this could be a holiday for the merchants a holiday for the city. That could be a shared holiday. I like that our building of religion in this world has been very localized, very specific, and not like a big sort of, I don't know, overarching thing. So I don't know that I would want it to be a religious holiday unless it were like the merchants were coming into town because they knew a holiday was coming up Mm -hmm. and they were going to get like a good price for their goods in this one place that celebrates this particular holiday. Something like that. What if it's more like a generalized naturalistic holiday, like a holiday surrounding the bone yards. Mm -hmm. Like you're supposed to go to your local bone yard and pay homage to the creatures that shaped the earth that came before or something where like people are supposed to go to these landmarks and I'm thinking kind of like the shrine visits at New Year's. Mm -hmm. I'm a terrible person because I was like, Oh, like labor day where we're supposed to be (laughs) talking about fair labor practices, but really we're just like, I love having a Monday off. Oh my God. It could be a trader's chance to, you know, sell bone charms or whatever. But right. uh, where it's like labor uh, in the U.S. I mean, labor- but that's every holiday. <laughs> yeah, Labor Day is a federal holiday, and May Day isn't. Yeah, yeah. So, because I I like the idea of like naturalistic holiday. Maybe Nopolis has a different relationship to it than some other places do, because in in some of the other other places, the people like have pulled back from boneyards and from like connecting to the broader world. But to a certain extent, you can't get away from that Annapolis, even if you wanted to. Is it an actual like localized religious holiday in Annapolis, but everybody else, it's just a Monday off. Hmm. Could be. Because Annapolis, you can't get away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to like like get a connection between like the barnacles, the hardness of the barnacles, and then the boneyards significance yeah. somehow. There's a story there too. Barnacle and bone. Barnacle I and just, bone. I have this mental like picture, right? Of like, I mean, we're we all love whale fall a lot because whale fall is so cool. But then we also love like the giant leviathan skeleton in a desert right Mm -hmm. and i feel like there has to be a middle um ground where that leviathan skeleton was covered in barnacles and that's what our like our boneyards are at this point yes is like the water is receded but there's still all of this like growth on it and it is still itself a very localized ecosystem or magic. I did, in fact, write a a whole novel about a city built in and among the the bones of a titan from kind of this setting's equivalent of the Titanomachy uh, in Greek mythology. So, like, is Nopolis, like, you know, is it by... Like, okay, so there there was a, an ice age, and so the, like, the, that receded, and so then that created the shape of something and then like the megafauna whale fall something something like as i say it's a port town maybe like the megafauna whales all like come to this one place to die and it's like their ribs just create these caverns upon caverns of bones 
all in one place. I love that, yeah. Until it's like this this, this giant mountain-sized nest of bone. So yeah. is, the, is that just in the water? Is there like an island that's bone? I was going to say, is that a hallowed place? It's got to be. Yeah. That's a hell of an image. I, yeah. It's because you'd have the sound of the water rushing through it constantly. Mm. All those bones all being crushed down over time. But also there's a certain musicality to it, right? Mm-hmm. And all of the little hollow places that the water like trickles through and that sort of like chiming sound of bone on bone and shell on shell with our barnacle friends. Yes. Yes. So like obviously it sounds like the ghosts of the past are are whispering to you. <laughs> and some Haunted. people Yeah. Some people don't care for that. <laughs> Yeah, and so then obviously the story being told is about whether this is a tradition or just a commercial holiday. And um, well, I guess that's maybe not the story being told, but that's like the underlying context of why the story is being told. But what's the story? Yeah, it's is really this, just that those traders can sell bone charms. Come on, is it the story? Is it something about the whales? About why the whales chose this spot? Why, why, about why the megafauna all over the world tended to die, return to the one same place to die and create these boneyards of the world? Something about tradition, bringing together. Like, Is I, it about the Tallow Queen calling the whales? Oh. Is it something about. I mean, maybe that's how she became queen, right? Like, maybe there was an energy mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. And she was able to somehow, like, call some of these places into being. And maybe this island is where she stood and, like, where she called the whales, you know, the whale version of the megafauna. Right. The towel queen, we know, in this modern era... The legend is warped that she brought magic to the world. She gave magic to the peoples. What if this tale is the tale of how she did that? Is by knowing that the magic was trapped up and locked up selfishly in the bones of all the creatures of the world. And they were keeping it for themselves. And that she was so righteous and holy that she was able to call the animals to dash themselves upon the earth itself and sacrifice their bones to unlock the magic, to release it into the earth so that her children could benefit from it for for generations to come. And that, my children, is why there are boneyards across the land, promising for future generations that we shall always have magic for our benefit and ours alone and not for the beasts of the earth. So before that, I was thinking like, do we do something where either a theory or the reality is that gutter is like a petroleum from the megafauna, but that might be too much capitalism on top of capitalism. (laughs) No, I love it. We just didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Not that I went like fable. Yeah. I went like environmental hazard. Well, it's like, and these are not mutually incompatible. No, they're not. Because um, you could weave that in too. Also, bone charms are buy two, get one free this weekend. <laughs> and if you, you know, if if you don't buy these bone charms... You know, people, people look bad, like people look on that poorly, but also, you know, we're all way too busy to actually go to the boneyard. Right. Is it like, cause you, cause everybody has to buy the bone charms. And is that, that like a, a recreation of the queen calling all of the animals, right? Like we are, we are as if like, you know, the animals aren't around anymore. So we have to assemble the bones and like, do people then get little bone charms and then go and make kind of fake mountains? Yeah. Or claiming the magic for themselves by taking their own little bone charm. 
Because, you know, in this world, like, the, the, the whole division between the, the, the candle creatures and the humans is that we've turned away from the natural magic kind of sources. And I was going to say, maybe part of the warping is that everybody takes their own bone charm instead of communally creating a mountain of bones. Yes, and maybe I love that's that. The actual origin of some of these boneyards, right? Like the creatures and people collecting these things in specific places. Yeah. Yeah, maybe originally the holiday was to, you know, make to maintain the boneyards, make sure that they're preserved and the bones are are refreshed and added year after year. And that part of the holiday has fallen by the wayside as well. And now it's just become a commercial thing where you can sell bone charms that people take away and it's the completely opposite. I love that. Awesome, Marianne. Yeah, because there'd be people in Nopolis who are not, who don't partake in local, like long-term tradition. Mm-hmm. So you'd have like, oh, okay, the uh, the merchant's son who is getting treatment for, for gutter wick, like, doesn't do the communal thing in Innopolis. He does the version that he's used to. Yeah. And I think probably you have like one of the things going on underneath Nopolis is all of the people who consider themselves Candlewicks are like buying their bone charms and bringing them together. Right. Cause like, I like that. Do I love a ritual. <laughs> Cause uh, if, if a bunch of people like view it really superficially and so it's like stylish to have the bone charms, but then they throw them out. People like, do people take the, these things that have been discarded once their like social utility is done and then repurpose them to yeah. return them to the, like an older tradition? I think, I think so. Especially if they're made of the bones of smaller creatures that are like, what is left after the industrialization of magic, right? So, like, the boneyards are these megafauna and these huge whales in in the case of our island. But what people are buying bone charms of are, like, little fish vertebrae. And so there's that relationship, but that, that's what the world has come to. Yeah, because you, you can get the... You can get some of that nostalgia of, like, oh, well, in the... In the in the years of the Tallow Queen, the the Leviathans were so big that they blotted out the they blotted out the sun, and you know, insert name of creature that we have left is all that remains. And it's like what they're actually describing is like a a salmon, um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, a salmon's bones versus a whale's bones. Yeah, I like that. Because yeah. um, that, that also gives us some of that post-fantasy vibe of like, oh, we, we're not in the era of giants anymore. And, you know, in Dark Souls, uh, all, most of the Dark Souls video games, there's some, there's, there are giants and the giants are usually gone, um, much in the same way that like Titanomachy has the Titans and like some Old Testament stuff talks about like, like ne- the Nephilim were giants, right? Mm-hmm. Probably this is why I was able to play like 15 minutes of shadow of the Colossus and then was just like stricken with guilt. Oh yeah. 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 I think some people reach their no too sad. I'm the bad guy point in that game way faster than others. I definitely did. I noped no. out so early. I was like, I just can't do it. <laughs> strip this world of these creatures. So Yeah. Yeah, I liked the the idea of like, oh, okay, it's all boss fights, and these creatures are so gigantic, and you're treating it like a puzzle, but it's too sad. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> move on, my guy. I was also full of dread. I was waiting for something terrible to happen as a consequence of killing these huge creatures oh, who sure. are so obviously fundamentally part of the landscape. So Yeah, like... I didn't get far enough in the game to know like how that is manifested. I know that there is like, there's some visual indicators of like corruption or something or whether, but like, you know, a different version of that would be like every time you kill one of them, one of the colors in the game's palette goes away. And then like for the last one, all you have left is red and it's like, everything is blood, but that's a, that's a, that's a, 
that's a whole different rendition from the same core premise, and that's a so that's fine. It's a different thing. So now we yes, now, now, we're about traditions. now we've made this other video game sadder. <laughs> um, a bunch of drunk sailors weeping about the loss of the Leviathan right. is what we have ended on. Yeah, well, because like <laughs> I think we can tie this back in because then there can be like there can be folklore about like oh well the the world used to be so so much more full of colors. The eye, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, culturally, you know, in the Mediterranean, you don't, you don't get, uh, you don't have, there's no blue until time X or whatever. And so the sea is described as green and so on and so forth. And so, like, because in a fantasy setting, you can literally have colors that don't exist anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that brings us back to candlelit, right? Like, the whole quality of the light has changed. Mm. And it used to be very much about like this candlelit safety, you know, from, from, from all sorts of things and this opportunity to pursue pleasure and leisure and that kind of thing. And now with industrialization, I think we move away from like that soft, small candlelight into some more like, harshly lit things, but there are still people burning candles to try to um, hold on to that feeling. See, and I was going to twist it just the other way. Cause I was going to say it used to be that we would only need the candles when the, uh, at night when it got too dark to see, but then at the day we would have the freedom to go out into the sun and enjoy the natural daylight we had. And, now with with industrialization, we are only ever inside working by candlelight. So we both we both made it sad just by twisting it in opposite directions. Right. Writers. <laughs> I like the idea though that like everybody's working by their own candle now instead of sharing light. So you also have to have more candles. Mm-hmm. Because everybody has to have their own instead of like a big happy commune of candles. I don't know. Instead of all going out into the sun together, who would do that? I'll just stay inside. Yeah. There's too many UVs. I'm pale. (laughs) We say in front of Zoom where we have sat all day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, you know, I have to. Part of why we got a dog was because that I I had realized that working from home, I could go several days without going outside. Mm-hmm. And so the dog needs to go outside. But then we live where there's a lot of UV in the summer. And so I've never wore, I've never used as much sunscreen as I've used since we got a dog. Because the dog, I can't tell the dog, no, we need to wait until there's fewer UVs. The dog needs to go and the dog needs to go. I live in a basement and there are a few windows, but they are very high set in the wall and they're very um, like deep as well, deep casements. So we don't get a lot of light from them. So sometimes I have found myself like, like sitting here where the window is actually underneath the front porch. Mm. (laughs) So there's not like, it's a window onto the bottom of the steps, right? So sometimes I check the weather app and I'm like, you could just go to the door and go outside. You could go outside. But instead I sit and I check the weather app and I realize, you know, it's been three days since I have been like outside for any length of time. I need to yeah. go out well, and, and touch grass. Like for, for a lot of people at different stages of the pandemic, if you were in a position where you didn't have to go and like work at a grocery store or other like essential things. Uh, and especially for people in places where there were genuinely lockdowns, re- uh, well, changing your relationship to outside. Yeah. I mean, when, at the start of the pandemic, my husband and I were in tiny apartment building in Seattle and just the fraughtness of even navigating shared hallways and elevators and all that shit was we didn't go outside and then we got here and we've just been so cautious with 
health conditions and disabilities and stuff that we yeah. <laughs> realize like we haven't gone outside we haven't left the house this week uh we should fix that um, <sighs> candles okay. man candles so if you are watching or listening and you're a publisher and you want to give us money to write stories about this cool, cool goth setting, you probably should contact Speculate and then I will contact everybody. But we will also do outros so that people can uh, so we can make it as easy as possible for you all to get in touch with us and give us money. Uh, but before we do that, I want to pull back and maybe like talk about the game in general or are there further things we want to talk about our candle wicks and our gutter barnacles and things i do have a thing that i was thinking about because we are playing dungeons and dragons and one of the and i did just go see the dungeons and dragons movie which was delightful um and one of the things that i have always kind of struggled with in dungeons and dragons as a setting is the idea of the underdark being like the bad place where all the bad things come from. And one of the things I particularly like about like the idea of an incrustation growing under the city and like in these caves and all of these like boneyard caves and that sort of thing is, is moving away from that is like what we talked about at the beginning when AJ was like, the dark isn't bad. It's, it's not bad. And I like that we get to build that in, mm-hmm. like, at the, the, like, the ingredients level. Yeah, I like the idea, especially, like, the way we just, we set it up with the, those boneyards, like, becoming, like, a place of solace and sanctuary, yeah. as well as a place of learning and research and knowledge, too. Um, I think it's a neat twist on the whole Underdark thing, because I think, yeah, it's, there's been steps made to kind of rejuvenate that idea and add depth to it. But I think there's so much more you can do. And I like the idea, yeah, especially like taking the idea of like catacombs, necropolis kind of place and making it more a place of like thriving life and change and, um, yeah, sanctuary. Because so many, and so many other cultures going to your dead is not a scary, dark, or haunt, even like haunted in a negative tone thing. It's a solace to go visit your dad. And I think I love to see that more in, in fantasy too. So it's neat to be able to work that in this game. Right. Cause like, the game has some neat prompts for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, we'd already kind of touched on that with, uh, we got to necromancy and then we're like, okay, but let's not do, necromancy the same way that necromancy usually is talked about like oh necromancy is bad in a categorically distinct fashion than all of these other magics including mind control commercial necromancy is bad <laughs> the, the industrialization like that's when it's a problem but i like too that like it's it is like the incorporation of all of the different phases right like even at the industrial level, they're not rejecting like the the cycles of, of life. They're just they're they're regimenting them, right? So it's not like they're trying to actually deny that death is a thing, but they are like, how can we how 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 can we regiment this and like work our way around this part of the problem? And I like that it's coming at it from a slightly different direction instead of just like, well, how do we beat death? Well, we don't, but yeah, it's i uh, I'm reminded of the quote, how do we monetize the rot? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like one of the ways that a system can become uh, more exploitative is looking at things that had worked just fine and going, okay, but how can this be better for us specifically? And we don't care about anyone else. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the classic conversation about advertising, right? Like the most effective advertising often creates a problem that you did not know that you had until you watched advertising offering a solution to it. Like advertising sells you both the problem and the solution in many cases. Yeah, and... 
uh, like that intention with the thing that is certainly like uh, common wisdom in publishing when I was kind of on the staff side of like, nothing is better than a personal recommendation from somebody you trust. Mm -hmm. And so you manufacture that through creating thought leaders and uh, like valorizing uh, influencers and using like parasocial trust to be a validator for products as opposed to individual interpersonal um, relationships where it's like, oh, well, insert name of celebrity says that this book is good and so I will buy it because that is a recommendation that can be produced in an economic system in a way that we as friends recommend books to one another cannot be. God, what do influencers look like in this world? I was just thinking about that. I was like, <laughs> what does social media in this world look like? If they have, I mean, there's always some kind of social media, right? I like, mean, they got to be like the really like studly kinetic magicians, maybe. Like mm-hmm. they, they like do all this, but they have no gutter wick scars whatsoever. And they're just so, they do the solo performances with the ritual dancer backups, but they're, they're like pops. They're like pop star magicians. What does this world's version of the seminal classic film, Strictly Ballroom? Like? <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, is it, is the the kind of amateur character, is that like, oh, this is a person who doesn't know magic, right? Or it's like a person who who does dancing that isn't magic um, yeah. and then like gets brought into this like elevated high status world of... Uh, the typical Yuri on Ice <laughs> But it's story. also like, it's also, right, about the story of this like industrial magic dancer who is reconnecting with those wild magic roots. Yeah. New steps, new steps. Yeah. What does teen counterculture look like in this world? Right. Is that like teenagers continuing to engage with gutter to get gutter wick scars to look cool on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there's got to be like a tattoo industry that replicates Gutterwick scars and like images of Gutterwicks and and that sort of thing. Like we've reinvented the goth subculture. (laughs) Yeah. And like the the probably places where the like personness or sentience or sapience of Gutter and Gutterwick is denied. And so then personalizing and anthropomorphizing those is counterculture yeah like tree huggers but for gutter gutterwicks what does farming actually look like yeah without the without the candle creatures yeah yeah technology progression in this world is interesting because like we've focused very much on like necromancy solutions and stuff too but there's still going to be like engineers in this world to necromancy solution and like is it a steam capable culture like what level of technology yeah we got stuck on the candle aspect which is cool but like there's got to be other progressions in other areas too so like how does that wind in yeah for that i feel like i'd want I'd want to flesh out more of the geopolitics uh-huh. of like, okay, we have this one city and we have the idea of them being distinct from kind of states or city states that they are uh, in some kind of contact with. I'd kind of want to like reverse engineer from, okay, yeah. what are things like now? In what way is the, the places we have now divisions or unifications of what came before yeah and you know with magic like is it equally spread across the world or is there some places like where there's not many boneyards or something that has less access and so maybe they're they've had to supplement with different kinds of technology progression and then like again go back to the question who does that ostracize and who does that leave out and Mm -hmm. yeah because that's how you get a whole world because that makes me think about like migratory patterns 
and ocean currents and that the boneyards would would like follow those areas and those like okay do migratory patterns then become the equivalent of ley lines like okay magic is gonna be dense along these areas because of that's where the the flow of these beings are interesting does magic have different flavors determined by the kind of mega fauna that your ley lines are built from right like napolis is a port city we've got these leviathan skeletons but what about x other city that is built on the bones of like fantasy pterodactyls yeah yeah or ones that are built entirely on fish bones or ones up in the alps that are entirely giant mammoth bones or goats or birds you know Yeah. yeah like what do all of these different giant creatures like surely somewhere there is a fantasy equivalent of a giant sloth and you know what what's that city known for right and because you can do you can kind of go either way of well the magic is like oh, okay well you know uh, in the in the goat place the magic is about like fortitude and so then goats are associated with fortitude because that's the magic that comes from them um, and the cultural flow can go either way, where we come to think about goats as being tough because the magic that comes from them we associate with this. And we got to remember there's, this, there's that existing tension because the codified version of magic now says you shouldn't be doing magic that way at all. It should be all through kinetic production. So any bone magic is right. going to be counter in yeah, some and way. Do, well, is it codified in every country? Right. That's the thing. Like, because do we, do you do the goat dance when you need to do the goat magic? Like how, how, um, how removed is it? Yeah. Is it removed along all axes or along some axes where it's like, well, we don't do the material thing anymore. We don't go out there anymore, but there is some continuity mm-hmm. and like how much those diverge historically will probably vary based on a bunch of other factors, right? So, related question, because it is a room full of writers. I am curious how similar this is to your process of world building when you are writing, because it is very different from, like, my process of world building, which is why I think these world building games are fun, right? Because they're very tightly focused on building the world, and doing so in a very deliberate world first way, right? Like we have, we have, we have all of this culture, but all of this culture has come out of the world. So when you are writing, are you coming up with worlds and filling them with culture or are you sort of doing the reverse or like, what's your, what's your methodology? y'all? I mean, for me, this is, this is, I would love to say this is my methodology, but it's not. <laughs> I start often like with like a cool idea, and then I often I'll start out with some of these questions, but I end up I jump to writing way faster. Mm-hmm. I would love to take some of some ideas and play this game with some friends who would probably need to help me. So I I get too excited and I just start writing. That's just the kind of writer I am. And then I figure out stuff and I ask questions as I go and it complicates things and, and, you know, makes me redraft things and stuff. But that's part of my process. I think this is fantastic, especially for like if you're developing a game world or something where things need to be able to change. You need to you need Mm -hmm. to have that large vision first up. But so often when I'm writing a story, I'm so focused on the bones of the story first of all that I can afford to take the narrower view first and then expand whereas this is really cool for the big expansive view and then you narrow in like with the way the the game was set up yeah so the the game then even has a little bit of that zoom in but I feel like if I were going to do a hack of this game with a bunch of different prompts but using a lot of the same structure I might go one step beyond journey in the land to 
either give more specifics on the prompt of like, what, what do you mean? Tell the story to like detail the people and then tell the story or talk about the story that they're telling or like have a, a more concrete intermediary step. Cause that would then lead to my process because I, I am almost always working premise first, basically where like I pitch myself. So Geekomancy was what if fandom was a magic system? And I, I spun out from there of like, okay, so this is a magic system that I start writing like, Oh, okay. Well, I want to have other weird passion-based magic systems because uh, a big touchstone for that series was the RPG Unknown Armies, which has like obsession-based magic. Genre Knots was, what if being genre savvy was the special skill that, it, that let a character stand out? And so when I'm world-building from that, I ruminate on the, on the premise, and then I usually pretty quickly go to, well, who's the character that incarnates this premise? who can carry this into some kind of adventurous context. That's super interesting to me because I start a hundred percent of the time with a very specific character voice Mm. and I discover like everything else through the perspective of that character. So like if I were writing something that ended up with a world like this, it would start with a character. It would start with like one of those traders drunk and you know crying about the leviathan and like the person who is in the hold with them like why the hell am i stuck in this hold with this crying sailor who is being sent to the city right like it would start so specifically with their like their viewpoints Mm -hmm. and then everything else would unfold from that so like as a writer's room game, I think it's so fun to to play this kind of structural game. And I like that this one is so, I don't know, just so focused on the, the collaborative build yeah. instead of taking turns where everyone decrees something. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a, you could play this with more strictly delineated authority of like, this is yeah. your card. So you get last say like the, the strictest bit that we get, I think is at the very beginning where it says each player gets the final say on at least one paint. Right. Yeah. Otherwise a lot of the other stuff is really pretty loose. Um, and it just mm-hmm. is like, okay, discuss. And uh, you know, each each player should answer two questions or a total of six questions. Like, so there's a little bit there, but any of these games, like the designer is not going to come and get us if we don't quote unquote play it right. Um, Because the game has prompts and the game is a prompt. I find that I, I enjoy taking a little, like kind of a core of an idea for a story or, or setting and then doing not necessarily something like this game, but something like what we were doing when we like stepped a little bit away from an individual prompt into like overall discussion. Yeah. I think what the term I use, cause I, I married a software engineer is rubber ducking, you know, sure. just talking it out. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I know you said this was the first like world building game that you have had like actual playtime in, like what, what do you leave sort of thinking of the genre of world building games? Oh, I think they're a ton of fun. Um, I've played uh, solo play, like solo narrative games, journaling games where mm-hmm. you have prompts and you kind of you're writing a character through a story. And those are a lot of fun. But the collaborative aspect of these is just, you know, candy for a writer's brain. You get so much more when you're bouncing ideas off other people and refining them with other people. Um, then you do just going the flow writing and work, working through these alone. So I think they're great. And yeah, anyone wants to play again, just yeah. tag me. This, <laughs> this does really make me want to go to the strange friends, the kind of uh, one of the, the main groups that um, makes speculate stuff, which is also all writers. I mean, like, cool. 
So I played a Land, a Land Once Magic with Marianne and AJ, and it totally ruled. So we need to play one of these world-building games uh, and then do like a quote-unquote more traditional um, RPG from that because the, um, uh, the actual play team that I know that does this type of thing most extensively is Friends at the Table, which I mentioned way earlier with like post-fantasy, where they, they will do like a, a mini-season and play like a half dozen or more different RPGs and not just world building games. And so they have almost like an anthology show that builds out a setting and then they do one game for a longer period of time, which I think is a very cool approach. Yeah. So this would be a great way to like build a campaign world with your players. Yep. And then everybody has tons of buy-in because everybody was materially and creatively involved at, at a deep level. And no one gets to hide the lore from you, our <laughs> DM. <laughs> yes. Uh, we say only because the lore is cool and we want to know more. Oh, cool. We want to know. Um, so I think we will probably wrap there. We have done quite a lot of thinking and talking about uh, this cool bone and candle megafauna and like wax barnacle people gestalt thing stuff um because it's awesome but now i will again ask folks to remind us who you are and what you do where we can find you and if you want to plug a project please go ahead and do that starting with marianne uh my name is marianne kirby i am a sort of horror writer and fat activist i do have books out and short stories and that sort of thing. Um, I usually am just like, Google, please. Um, I don't want to plug my own project. Um, I am going to plug Neon Hemlock, a publisher of queer speculative fiction that is publishing novellas, anthologies, chapbooks, weird zines, like so much amazing stuff uh, coming out of Neon Hemlock including like my favorite thing I read in the entirety of last year, which is a novella called The Killing Ground by Joan Tierney. So highly, highly recommend neonhemlock.com, y'all. I co-host Neon Hemlock Live with Dave Ring. Uh, We have readers from amazing, amazing like writers all over the world. Um, That's on Instagram. Uh, follow Neon Hemlock on Instagram and basically everywhere. Do you want to throw out a social for you? Um, I am the Rotund pretty much everywhere. Um, Mastered on Twitter when I'm still there. Um, I, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm like, if, if it's there, like I believe in name squatting at the very least. Cool. Thank so. you. Okay. AJ. Uh, yeah, I am AJ Hackwick. As I said, I'm a writer of fantasy, occasional sci-fi kissy books. My recent trilogy, Hell's Library, is out in stores. The first book is The Library of the Unwritten. The most recent book that finishes the trilogy is The God of Lost Words. Please buy it and support it if you like fantasy and nerdy stuff and library books and library magic and uh, heroes, demons, hell, all sorts of fun stuff. Heaven's the bad guy. It's all sorts of fun stuff. You can find me in most places on the internet, AJ Hackwith. I've been pretty quiet online lately, but I will always appreciate a high and whatever tag you want to do. And um, yeah, I love playing games and love reading books. So if that's your thing, follow me. Very cool. What I got. Uh, so I want to say thank you so much to Marianne and to AJ for joining me. We do this other game together, um, but I enjoy a lot getting to also play RPGs with people that I already have like a friendly relationship with in terms of like colleagues or friends that I know otherwise. Like um, I got to play the game that I made with a couple of friends who one is my my wife's roommate from when I met my now wife and her uh, and her spouse. And so uh, we did like a double date RPG thing. And so adding RPGs to your established uh, friendships may be fruitful depending on how those relationships already go. I recommend trying this out if you feel like trying to tell stories together with people that you already like. 
it may be easier to make more role-playing gamers that way than uh, to meet random uh, gaming people, unless you have really good session zero work and, um, and safety tools, but use those all the time anyway. Uh, that is a separate uh, rant. Uh, you can find uh, bonus features, including discussions about how to have good RPG sessions and games that uh, I and the other Speculate co-hosts like all of those things and more by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash speculate. I have been your facilitator today, uh, aka one of the co-hosts of Speculate. I'm uh, Mike Underwood. I write as Michael R. Underwood. My stuff is inclusive, found family, action adventure for the most part. Um, my latest series is also my first series, which starts with the book Geekomancy, which is the what if fandom was a magic system thing. I also do the genre knots series of dimension hopping story heists. You can find me on Twitter at Mike R. Underwood. I stream video games at twitch.tv slash turbo tango. And you can listen to more cool things that speculate has done by going to speculatesf.com. You can find videos of all of the shows that we've done in video form at speculatesf.com, but also youtube.com slash Arvin Eleron. And this will have streamed on twitch.tv slash Arvin Eleron. And you can watch future shows from Speculate at that channel. In uh, in fact, please make sure to go and follow the lovely folks who join me as guests for this game. And uh, we will have more Speculate fun for you in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com. Hi, everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.